This morning we're between preaching series, which is always a bit of a strange thing, and uh, so I kind of had freedom to share on anything I wanted, and I felt God lead me to a few verses in Philippians, and uh, just to remind us of a few things that we really already know. And I'd like to start off by us doing something that we don't maybe do a lot of. Did it lots when I was young, but don't do it so much now. I'd like us to write with a pen. I know, you just don't do it very often, do you? Hence the reason why I've given out the post-it note. I always get a bit worried at Christian things when people give out post-it notes. I think I'm going to have to write some deep, dark sin and then burn it or drown it in the water. But we're not going to have to do either of those things, I promise you. What I'd like us to do is just to copy out the verse from this morning which is just behind me. So you might have to write small, but if you have to write too small, use both sides. But if not, you can do it. Just write out the verses. And maybe if you can, even try and do a line for verse 4 and a line for verse 5 and a line for verse 6, but that might be too clever. But it's just here behind you, Philippians 4, 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, especially not tech. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I'm just going to give you a moment just to write that out on that post-it note. Remember how to use it? You just kind of move it up down and wiggle it around a little bit. Do you remember that kind of thing? <coughs> Good. Is this working now, Ashley, as well? Well done. Thanks, Ashley. Okay, when you're there, give us a smile, and that will make me feel good and also to show to me that you're there. <laughs> Am I in the way? Oh, there's a big range and difference between how fast people write, eh? A few are like, first 10 seconds, done. What did you say, Reg? <laughs> Do I want to know what you said, Reg? I don't know. Great. <clears throat> Let me read it properly then. Hopefully you're getting there. Philippians 4. 
4 to 7, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, we just pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would help us to understand what you're saying through these verses and that you would speak to each of us about our own lives and that you would instruct us, you would help us, and you would encourage us. We thank you that you are such a kind and loving God. We bless you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, well done, everybody. Thanks for writing that out. You've now got, the, you've now got your sermon notes right there uh, on your little bit of yellow paper, so do keep that with you. It will all possibly make sense later on, or maybe not. We're just going to go through it. I just want to go through it with you this morning. Nothing very complicated this morning. Just go through it verse by verse. Verse 4. Starts off by saying, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let's just first check we understand the meaning of a couple of words in this sentence. Rejoice basically means to worship, to praise, to celebrate, to remember, to be glad. It's what we did this morning using instruments and songs and Dave Fellingham to help us. We worshipped. We corporately rejoiced in the Lord. That's what it means. This word always, well, it's much trickier, this word. Basically, always means always. Every day, in every situation and circumstance, whether good or bad or boring, always means always. And Paul has already told them in the last chapter to rejoice in the Lord. And he said then, actually, it's no trouble for him to write the same thing again because it's a safeguard for them. So he's already told them, And then he tells them again in chapter 3, and then he tells them again in chapter 4. So this is an important instruction, because if it wasn't, Paul wouldn't repeat it, and then repeat it again. And it's an instruction for them to do under all and every situation and circumstance of life. Whatever the circumstance, good days when things are going well, normal days when things are just going, and difficult days when maybe... We're suffering or we're in difficulty. And actually, sometimes rejoicing and worshipping in those difficult days can be the hardest, but can actually be the most important. And actually, we see that repeatedly through Scripture. We're encouraged to do just that. Much of the book of Psalms kind of is written like that. What about this one from Habakkuk 3, 17 to 18? Though the fig tree does not bud, there's no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food and there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Not good. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. So why is rejoicing, worshiping God always, every day, in all circumstance, so Important. Let me just give you four quick reasons. Number one, creator God deserves worship from the beings which he has created. We literally owe him worship. Number two, loving God is due it back from those who have become 
the recipients of his love. As we are loved and as we are receiving his love, so it's appropriate that we take that love and the fruit of that love is poured back to him in adoration and in worship. Thirdly, because by it, I believe, we are reminded exactly who God is. Came through this morning again. We're reminded of his supremacy, his authority, his power, his majesty, which never changes but can become somehow lost to us as though it were hidden in a fog, the cloud and circumstances of life. And in worship, I believe, somehow our spiritual eyes gets opened. Somehow the mist and the fog gets blown away. And we get to see God as he truly is and truly as he always has been. And fourthly, because I think we're reminded that in worship, that all the answers to all the questions and all the challenges that we might face, actually, the answer to them are all found as we humbly come before God in worship because he has all the wisdom, the provision, the knowledge, and the power. In other words, worship puts us in our right place for him. I think it's just so important how we worship God. He is worthy of it. He does, he does deserve it. It is an overflow of his love to us. But also somehow contained within the act of it, God has also done something of opening our eyes, expanding our faith, letting us put him in his right place and us in our right place. It's massively important. So Paul begins this little bit by saying, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Verse 5, he goes on to say, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, I don't know what you think, but my observation would be that this thing of gentleness, as the Bible describes it, sometimes seems to be in short supply today. And that's because gentleness is best understood as being a Christ-like consideration for others. What gentleness is, it's a Christ-like consideration for others. It's not about being weak. It's not about not dealing with difficult things. It's all about treating others as Jesus Christ would have us treat them. So gentleness is not that I treat you with timidity or never saying anything challenging, which is maybe how the world thinks about this word gentleness. It's actually so much deeper than that because it's about me treating you as Jesus would have me treat you, saying and doing what he would have me say and do. So being gentle in any given situation or circumstance is more about responding to it as Jesus would and not out of some reaction to what's going on. Yeah, we may want to scream and shout and criticize and blame and others around us will probably be doing that very loudly, but if Jesus would not respond like that, then we will not respond like that. We will respond to Jesus and not react to the situation. When you step back and think of all that Jesus said, he didn't actually say very much about his own character. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. He spoke a lot about the Father, 
He spoke a lot about why he'd come, but he didn't speak much about his own character. He tended to let his actions speak for him. And therefore, what he does say about his character must be significant. And we actually get a rare insight in Matthew 11, verse 28, when Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Gentle and humble in heart is one of the very few descriptions by Jesus of his own character. And having just had Easter and what we remember at Easter, do you remember when he rode into Jerusalem on the donkey? It says this in Matthew 21. This, was, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your kings comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. And there's, I believe, a connection between rejoicing and worshipping and letting our gentleness be evident to all, which is what this verse encourages. Because those who are actively worshipping God, aware of God, drawing close to God, receiving from God his love and his affirmation and his identity, you can then extend something of that to people who are around us. It's like, I think, a two-pronged attack. Number one, as we draw near to God in worship, number one, we're drawing near to God in worship. But then number two, this reality of the truth, that as it says, the Lord Jesus Christ is near. These two things, then we're able to be gentle and display something of his gentleness in the trials and the temptations and the harshness and the difficulties and confusion in people's lives. And this second phrase, the Lord is near, it actually has two outworkings. Firstly, it's about Jesus being with us, living in us by his spirit, alive in heaven, interceding for us at the right hand of the Father, fulfilling the promise to those first disciples, which remains as true for us today. I will be with you until the very end of the age. In other words, the Lord is near because the Lord is here. <laughs> the Lord is near. Yeah, he's not he's near, he's, well, he's here. <laughs> he's here, he's here, he's here. <laughs> the Lord is near because the Lord is here. But secondly, it's also got about it, though the commentators tell us, this sense of the return of Jesus. The day of the Lord is near. The day when he comes back is near and getting nearer. The next major event in world history from God's perspective is Christ's return and with each passing day and generation that day gets nearer. And so whatever is happening no matter how seemingly hopeless, terrifying, terrible in the moment doesn't seem so when compared against the reality of eternity and the imminent return of Christ and the judgment of all peoples therein. And so the Lord is near, both because the Lord is here, but also the Lord is near because the Lord is coming back in finality and in judgment and in victory and in glory. And because of that, and the more we are aware, convinced, and living the good of that, so I believe we can have and display a gentleness to all 
which can be evident. I think that's something of what the Apostle Paul is trying to get us to recognize and to pursue. He goes on, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So the question I ask is, what is one, if not the single biggest thing, that stops us from both worshiping God and being gentle to those around us, as I've described it? Think worry. Worry. Being worried, being anxious about this or that, which often means that our focus is not on how big God is, but how big the thing that we're worried about is. And I don't know about you, but when I'm worried or anxious, what is often evident to all around me is not my gentleness, but my worry, my concern, which often comes across in the form of getting angry, getting upset. Maybe we get extra loud. Maybe you go extra quiet. However, however it is that worry manifests itself, what is evident to all is not a Christ-like consideration for them, but our fears, our insecurities, our frustrations about whatever it is that we are anxious about. So Paul, having said, I think, these wonderful things about rejoice always, being gentle, now, I think, deals with the thing that will stop that, namely worry. And how can we fight against that so it doesn't rob us of worshipping God or being gentle to others? So let's just focus on this for a moment. I, I tend to think about worry or being anxious, as the verse says, under two headings. But actually, however you think about them, uh, actually the result or the answer is the same. Because firstly, I can be anxious about some things that I should be anxious about. We should be anxious in a right way about the war in Ukraine, should we not? We should be. We should be concerned about it. We should pray about it. But there are other things that I have a legitimate care, concern over. God's given me a responsibility to care and nurture and protect some things and some people as far as I'm able, like my wife, my children, the church I'm part of, some things that are going on in the world, like the war, the spread of the gospel, Things like justice, there is, I should be rightly concerned about those things. And I'm not supposed to be concerned because I'm trying to be God, but because God has given me a part to play in the care and stewardship of some things, and I take my part in that seriously. But secondly, and this is much more what I think Paul is driving at here when he wrote this, there is, as we know, the other kind of worry. That kind of self-centered, counterproductive worry. Often over events we can't control, people doing stuff we don't want them to do or not doing what we want them to do, either a fear of the present or the future or the past, often sometimes rooted in stuff not being dealt with. I mean, let's be frank. You can fill in your own blanks on what in your own life makes you feel this kind of worry. Yes? I can fill in mine, you can fill in yours. We might even be able to have a stab at filling in each other's, but let's not. But of course, as we know, worries and emotions and emotions were given to us by God as a warning signal on the dashboard of our lives. And so the answer is not to deny feeling anxious or to ignore it, but rather to determine, okay, when I feel anxious, I'm going to do something. 
And what I'm going to do is this. Because the truth is, if you feel anxious and you don't do something, you will just keep on feeling worried. You will just keep on feeling anxious. Which to me, I think of it like one of those old-fashioned helter-skelter rides that you used to go on at the fairground. It's just like a one-way, round-and-round, gut-wrenching journey of frustration and pain until you kind of get to the bottom and collapse. A bit dramatic, I know. But I just don't find worry goes away. just left to its own devices. Do you? So what is the do this that Paul tells them to do when they feel anxious? Both actually if you feel concerned in a good way, but also definitely when you're worried in a bad way, like I think what he means. The answer is here. Through petition and prayer, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Seemingly simple. But then a stick of dynamite doesn't look like much till you stick it in the mountain, light it, and watch it blow a hole in it. Prayer and petition. Don't worry too much about the difference. The key is, it's about bringing your worries, bringing your anxieties, telling God, and talking it through with God, and taking time to express it to God, and take time for him to speak into it, and speak over it, and speak about it, to verbalize it, to him. And it says, if you notice there, to do it with thanksgiving, prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Because otherwise, I think what can start as prayer and petition can easily stray into moaning or a shopping list of complaint against God for what he's done, what he's not done, what he should do, what he's allowing, etc. I don't actually think that thanksgiving is added for God's benefit, although he does deserve our thanksgiving. I actually think it's added for our benefit because otherwise, often our attitude might start right but often goes off. Thanksgiving in prayer, I think, keeps our attitude and our heart in the right place. So Paul says, present your request to God. Tell God how you're... Tell God what you'd like to see happen. Tell God how you'd like the situation to change or how you would like your heart to change, or your mind to change. Pray, bring it before God, converse with him. Now listen, presenting our request to God in this way does not guarantee that things will change as we wish. Life is not a Disney film. God may respond by saying yes, changing something, no, by changing nothing, wait, or a hundred other different responses that I can't even think of. God remains God. We can never take his place. We can never force him to do anything. But by presenting our request to God in this way, what we have done is to do what God told us to do in respect of fighting worry and anxiety. In other words, prayer is like placing and lighting that stick of dynamite next to that rock called worry. What prayer, I believe, does. It's been given to us partly as a weapon, a weapon to fight against worry. And if we don't use it, the danger is then worry, anxiety, and the fears that come from it somehow get a grip of our mind, get a grip of our heart, begin to dominate our thinking, changes our outlook, our action. So prayer 
may or may not change the situation. It was probably the situation that got you praying in the first place, and your prayers may or may not change it, but it will change or attack or fight against the worry, the anxiety that can be in you that is connected to that situation or circumstance. Do you get that? And I think that leads us on to the last verse and what Paul says. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The question, how can prayer like this fight against worry if there's no change to the situation? The answer is because there is a thing called peace that comes from God which goes beyond our understanding. That doesn't depend on any changes to situation or circumstances on earth. Prayer may change situation and circumstances on earth, yes. Prayer definitely releases peace from God that changes our, and guards our hearts and minds in the midst of whatever circumstance we might be going through. Some translations have that peace as being a better than understanding. Better. There's a peace that comes from God that is better than understanding. In the West, we find that hard to believe because we like to understand everything because we're scientific control sometimes. Because it doesn't rely on the situation changing. It doesn't even rely on us understanding everything that's happened, is happening, or will happening. But it's a peace from God, and it reassures us, convinces us again that he is aware, that he is in control. Ultimately, no matter what the situation is, our futures rest in his hands and not at the mercy of any situation or circumstance. That kind of peace is a precious commodity in a world of uncertainty and is actually available to us from heaven as we bring our worries and our concerns to our Father God in prayer and present our requests to him. And look what Paul says it guards says it guards our hearts and minds. When worry is left unopposed, what grows in our hearts and minds is often confusion, turmoil, fear. Negative emotion gets put on top of negative emotion. The peace of God protects our hearts and our minds. And it comes as we pray about the things that worry us. As we lift our prayers to God, our petitions to God, with thanksgiving, present our requests. So worry goes and peace comes. And the truth is that those who have a peace from God and are at peace with God are far more likely, I think, to rejoice in the Lord always and subsequently to let their gentleness be evident to all. I don't really know how gentle I've been to all if I'm deeply worried or concerned about something. So I see this passage, these few verses, as something of a virtuous circle. We're doing what God says, not only does what it says in the tin, which is good in and of itself, but it also encourages us to keep on doing what God says and overall to keep on drawing us back to God and keep on drawing us closer to him. I hope in my talk this morning there's been something that may have helped you, strengthened you in your faith. And just to explain the post-it note to you, as most of you know, I read a bit of the Old Testament and a psalm and a bit of the New Testament every day. And two months ago, I decided to choose a verse 
and try and commit it to memory, uh, as Claire is often encouraging us to do. And uh, I find memory verses terribly difficult. I could probably tell you a hundred songs in less than one verse. I don't know why. It's just how it is. But I decided, no, no, come on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And so I got out my little post-it note a couple of months ago, and I wrote down this verse. And I stuck it in my uh, phone because I carry that around with me all the time. And I've been so greatly blessed because most days I've got it out of my phone and got it out and just read it through again. And when I, days when I've done that, it's reminded me about worship. And it's reminded me about being as gentle as Christ is gentle. It's reminded me about prayer, especially around the things I'm worried about. It's reminded me that actually my fragile heart and mind need God's protection. And so having this verse on a post-it note has served me well over the last few weeks. And I just wanted to share what I've learned. And I also wanted to give you the opportunity and the encouragement to write it out, which you've done, and carry it around in your pocket. Maybe refer to it over the next few weeks. Maybe see what God says to you, how God might bless you through it. Thank you.